0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
2: I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Jolene Delisle, founder and creative director of The Working Assembly, a branding and creative studio here in NYC. Jolene's work has been recognized by the Type Directors Club, Print, The One Show, Fast Company, and many more. TWA is a multidisciplinary team that builds brands through visual design, content, and creative communications. They've worked with companies across the ecosystem, including Zola, the Museum of Ice Cream, Evian, Sanzo, and Haven's Kitchen. (laughs) Welcome, Jolene. Hi, Allie. I'm, I, you know, I'm like, I think the minute that we started working together, I was like, and then you'll come on the podcast. I mean, like literally, you know maybe even before. Maybe it was 10 minutes in, but yeah, pretty soon. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I'm going to try to keep this from being a, like a total love fest. Although, you know, that is my proclivity here. And we do love each Um, other. We do love each other. Um, we decided just so everyone listening can know this, that we actually don't, really need any other friends in our lives (laughs) except for each other, even though, you know, that's unreasonable. But I just, I think you're so smart and I think you know so much and I just think you're super creative, but also have like a good solid left brain. So you're just, I'm just kind of in love with your brain, I guess is, is how I could put it. So needless to say, I'm very happy to have you on the show.
3: Thanks for having me. Yeah, it sounds unhealthy when you say it out loud, the things that we've been saying, but yes. Yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) say it out loud and to, you know, a couple thousand people. Um, All right. I also, you know, I also want to, I normally, I mean, you have a really interesting background. You have a really interesting story to tell. And that story definitely I think has informed why you've built TWA the way you have and why you choose to work with, you know, founders of color and women founders the way that you do. That said, I kind of want to get into like the meat and potatoes a little bit of the brand refresh that you just completed or basically are in this slow completion of uh, Fur Haven's Kitchen rather than talking too much about the background, but You know, needless to say, it is very interesting. Um, And maybe without going too deep in, you can tell me a little bit about TWA, you know, who you work with, why you do it, how you got here. For sure.
3: Yeah, no, no, thank you. I think, you know, when we started the Working Assembly, the idea was still very much what we're doing today, which was to partner with founders that we were really excited about aligning with uh, values-based age, um values-based clients who are, you know, really committed to doing something different, um, whether that be a product they're, they're building or a service that they're providing. Um, and a lot of our clients are women and founders of color. I think it was just a natural affinity for me to start aligning myself and and spending the time that we do with founders with ones that we truly like are so excited about pushing forward and helping and um, providing support to so that is a big part of working assembly and and what we have built today and i think a lot of the fact that our team is so diverse um, majority female is also because we attract a lot of talent who are excited about the brands that we're working with and excited to have that impact
2: yeah. I mean, as I'm, you know, we're talking about sort of like the brands that you're excited to work with, there are also these big brands. And one of the things that, you know, I I love about the way that you've kind of built it is that you're able to do the work, you know, for younger brands, emerging brands that might not have the budget because you also are able to get the work with these like more established you know, bigger kind of heritage brands. Um, But my, you know, my first question is sort of like, how do you assess a little bit, you know, what we need? Whether it's like us coming to you with a brand refresh or Evian coming to you or, you know, the big ones. Like, you know, we're all at different stages and have different needs. How How do you even start getting a lay of the land of what we need?
3: For sure. And I think it's interesting because when we first started the company, we our intention was to just work with kind of these startups and founders and really kind of partner with them, uh, roll up our sleeves and kind of get to work uh, across um, across the needs that they had. And it was only as we started, you know, really kind of synthesizing our process and really what we could bring and add value to, when we started getting kind of calls from larger brands and, and big fortune 100 companies who were like, well, we need that too. Mm-hmm. And what we started unpacking was that a lot of the brand challenges were the same, even though they were, of course, at different like scale and weight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a brand like Evian, for instance, you know, they're, they're wrestling with an evolving customer. They're, they're wrestling mm-hmm. with a customer who is um, deciding whether they buy Sanzo or they buy Evian and who are trying to, cause Evian has sparkling water as well. Right. Um, but, but, you know, and, and trying to, trying to align their values and to be a little bit more of an organization who, who can speak a little bit more culturally and, and uh, have a resonance with a customer. So that's why, you know, the project we did with them was really around sustainability and kind of their mission to be um, zero waste, even though they started as a plastic bottle, you know, how can we do, how can we create a bottle made from bottles and how do we really promote, promote that and make that part of their story. And I think that's, you know, we realize that a lot of these larger organizations, even though, um, you know, their budgets, their scale, the way that they have reached might be different. A lot of times those brand marketers are wrestling with the same things, you know, what is our brand foundation story? How do we get to this evolved customer? Um, You know, what are the, what are the kind of, uh, emotional pole tempo- that we can attach ourselves to 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 get there.
2: You know, it's interesting. Two two big kind of things came up as you were talking. One is, wow, this really never ends. Like the first thought I had was like, geez, you know, we're going to do another refresh before this refresh <laughs> is even out, out in the world. Like because I guess you know someone once said to me like a website is just like a, a an ever evolving living organism. And I guess it's the same with brand in a way, like, you know, you're not done, I guess is the point. Um, kind yeah, of I, think,
3: ever. I think there's things, and I think this kind of goes back to when you and I first met and we started talking a lot. And I think this is something about a lot of founders will come to us and say, well, we need like a visual identity refresh. We need updated packaging. And they want to jump right into kind of the look and feel of, of their brand, because that's what, that's how their brand is expressed right that's right. how consumers interact with it that's what they see they there you know i was on a, a call today with a founder who was like i hate my website if i could just redo my website and that i would be happy we can leave everything else the same right and you know i think i think at the end of the day it kind of goes to um back to the foundation you know i think that's something you and i talked a lot about it's mm-hmm. it's it's how we build a foundation that regardless of what you look like today and what you look like tomorrow a customer, um, someone who loves your brand actually knows what you're about. Yes. And it's not so much about what you look like, but right. it really is about what you stand for, why you exist. And that's really what we're we're in the business of of doing.
2: Right. And that that actually is like the second thing that kind of became very clear as you were talking. Like Evian didn't come to you, for example, for like we need a new Alp mountain. Right. right like we, they came to you for something like much deeper than that and i think it it's it's interesting like what you're saying right because your visual identity and this this goes into sort of like what you know a lot of our early discussions were your website your visual identity what's on your pack all of that isn't just you know it it's not it's not like floating in the air it has like a a like a tether to something. And I guess what you guys do and what you do really, really well is you figure out what is it tethered to. And that thing shouldn't really change very much at all. But from that, all the stuff kind of around it, that's the stuff that, you know, is going to change and and styles change and packaging changes and you know, consumers change and how you speak to them changes, but the the foundation, I guess, has to sort of remain the same. And maybe that's the sign of like a truly sustainable, you know, brand that's going to that knows who it is and what it stands for.
3: Yeah, it's funny because I my background is actually in advertising, and so I I kind of came up in the world of storytelling being like the most important thing. And then when you go into the brand world, you know people talk a lot about brand strategy, audience, you know uh, research, segmentation, all of those things as being the most important things. And it's been it's been interesting for us um, just unpacking you know, where we differentiate as a branding agency and what, what, how we can make the work really uh, better for our clients has really been around on, of kind of marrying those two worlds, like the storytelling aspect with kind of the visual identity and, un, and unpacking those two and synthesizing those two.
2: Right. And so that leads me to, you know, so for everyone who's listening, we, um, we, when we closed the cooking school, just for some context in June of 2020, we kind of looked at our, at our brand and at, you know, our pack and our website and everything. And it was very, very much like the thing that it was tethered to was the cooking school, this physical location, you know, the logo was built in you know, we made it in 2011 um, and it was based on the wrought iron that was, you know, in this building that, you know, was built in 1875. You know, everything on our website was about the cooking school and, you know, events in the cafe and signing up for classes. And, and there was like some page way over on the right that was like, oh, hey, by the way, we also have these sauces. Here's a store locator. And when we closed it, we kind of looked around and we're like, you know, that's not us anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it's part of our history. It's part of our brand story, but it's not our defining who we are. You know, a lot of the mission, you know, the mission hasn't changed, Um, you know, but we knew that we needed a refresh. And we knew that, you know, we were getting some input from buyers at grocery stores that the packaging was too simple. And that, you know, there, we didn't have any, we didn't know when we would make an Instagram post, like how to bring in another color other than black and white, because we didn't have brand colors. Like there was just a lot that was very, um, I don't know. It was like, it kept us a little bit confined. And so, you know, we interviewed eight different um, agencies and freelancers And San Sandro from Sanzo came on this show, I think, and talked about you. And the minute that we called you, it was like you had us at hello. Um, And so, you know, that process was basically amazing. Um, But it did have, I think, probably I would imagine there's a wrestling that has to happen with all of your clients unless it's just me.
3: No, I think I think I think a lot of things that you just said there are, are really important that stick out to me. One is that you're right, like where you were with the sauce packs from when you started it to where it is currently now, and the kind of um, trajectory of it. I think has changed so much than when you were in the cooking school. That's how I, as like a New Yorker, like knew of you as Raven's Kitchen and a cooking physical cooking school. And I think when we started unpacking that doing your brand strategy work and realizing that, you know, your mission of helping home cooks was still very much the same, but the form of that was different. And how can we express that to, to be stronger and to really be something that is really true to you. Um, but also is reflected in your, in your brand, you know, in the brand world, both in messaging and also visual identity. Yeah. And also, I mean, it
2: was, you know, we had just gone national with Whole Foods. So it's very different when you're a local brand and a lot of people, it turns out, knows the cooking school in New York and even in the region. But, you know, someone in Minneapolis or, you know, I always say Sacramento for some reason, like I always whip Sacramento out, but like, they don't have any reference point for that. So even though it felt like connected to something for us, it wasn't going to make its way into like the national zeitgeist the way that it was. Um,
3: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And then I think your second thing that you mentioned, which was like the wrestling, because I think we had, mm -hmm. you know, as much as we are, as we said, like in love now, I think there was, you know, bumps as within any relationship where, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth intention. I think all healthy and good. Yeah, I, mean, I never felt the, bad about just it. Just to caveat that, like, yeah, I think it was all healthy and good tension. But right. I think there's a couple of things that happen. You know, one, we always do this exercise in the beginning when we start working together, where we'll ask, what are the brands that you're really inspired by? What are the brands that you're really excited um, what they're doing and how they look? And I think sometimes, you know, founders will come with, with a mood board, which you did, of brands that you're really excited by and look, look like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right brand for you, or that's Mm -hmm. how you should look or how you should show up. Um, And it's a lot of unpacking, like, what is it about those brands that really stick out to you? And what are the things that you really like? And, you know, I think there was a lot of back and forth as far as, you know, reconciling your personal preference versus, you know, what was right for the brand too, because it is Mm -hmm. so personal to you. And I think that happens a lot yeah no. I, I actually, I want to get into
2: this because i you know, I really want this to be helpful for other founders and like emerging brands. So I think we should take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about all the things that I did that annoyed you. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Great. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese.
2: I'm back with Jolene Delisle, founder and creative director of The Working Assembly. Okay, so you know, to be clear, I also felt like all any wrestling that happened where we there was like a push and a pull or when you guys would come back with stuff and I would give feedback and you would be like we need we need to understand like that feedback needs to be attached to something. Part of what made me a better, I think, leader in this, in this partnership with you guys was that I learned how to give much better feedback and being like, it doesn't pop enough. Like that's not feedback. Like you, you wanted me to, to really figure out what it was that I liked and what it was that I didn't like. And that was incredibly helpful. And I've kind of taken that forward with me and, you know, in everything now that I do. Um, But just in general, what else, you know, I think there's a really good point, you know, first of all, I'd be very curious to see, you know, how many brands come to you in any given month with the same brands on their mood board that happen to be kind of, you know, of the moment. Like, is is there, is there, there, do you just see the same brands over and over and you're kind of like, oh, it's them again? We do. And we joke
3: about it a little bit here because there is a couple that are kind of at the moment, you know, of the zeitgeist and, and clients are really liking and and jealous of in some way and feel like mm-hmm. there's a lot that's, that's good about it. And I think one thing that we have to always try to unpack is there's the stuff that we all personally really like, and then there's the stuff that really works. And I think that's where, you know, you, Ali, especially have a really good sense of is, you know, you're really thinking about the customer in the market and making sure that they understand what you're about and right. they want to they that your packaging is not just beautiful but also functional and i think yeah. that's something that especially if you are a D2C brand that has aspiration of going into the store it's so important that your packaging not be this like beautiful minimal art piece mm-hmm. you know there's that balance between you know being something that is beautiful to look at but also really uh adding value for people yeah. and and being something that's super clear for them to understand you know what what it is that you're about in the two seconds that they have that they're evaluating you yeah. and so i think mean, that's something that we talked about a lot because there's the design and branding that branding agencies do that's for them and then there's the work that i think that we do sometimes it's really just it's for the client you know 100 percent works yeah
2: I mean and and two things also one is you know any anybody out there who's listening who is doing a brand refresh or who's about to make a brand like go ask go ask the buyers like the people you know sometimes i think especially if you're a digitally native brand you're kind of like oh yeah that buyer who's been buying you know for Dairy or salty snacks for 30 years at the same store, like they're not going to know innovation. Well, actually, they might not know innovation, but they do know what doesn't work. And they've seen a lot. And they can tell you you don't need eight icons on the front of your package. You just need non GMO. Or, you know, if, if you have a specific ingredient, yes, you should put that on the front. Or, you know, in our case, we, we were just like, everyone will know what to do with this. Well, Mm -hmm. actually everyone doesn't know what to do with it. So I would say as, you know, as someone who's going into this on, you know, the founder side or on, you know, on the brand side before you, like we came to you with very clear things that our brokers had told us, feedback from buyers that didn't love the packaging, we didn't listen to all of it. Like it didn't, it didn't necessarily, we weren't like, okay, we have to do this because our broker told us to, Mm -hmm. but it is worth bringing them into the conversation, especially the people that have to go out into the world and sell your product. And I think digitally native brands, they don't have that yet. So they don't, they don't think about it yet. They and they and they aren't on a shelf competing with three thousand other things, you know. Yet, um, yep. so what else do we what else do we get wrong, founders, yeah. when we come to
3: you? Yeah, and I think that's 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 something that's interesting. Is like it it is about that personal taste versus what works. And then I think the other thing too is that there is, a like. Uh, an homog- homogeny that's happening within the design world, right? Where a lot of things do look the same, whether that's direct to consumer, whether that's in the aisles, you know, and then right. we're also dealing with store brands that are creating their, their own yeah. kind of knockoff versions of of these interesting brands mm-hmm. that are independent that are popping up. And so, you know, there's a there's a lot that are playing for the kind of eyeballs and wallets of our of our customer. How do we make sure that we distinguish that? So a lot of what we do is is trying to unpack and unwrap a lot of that feedback and personal preference. And really, at the end of the day, strip that away to being at the core of of who you are as a company, what really distinguishes you as a brand. And then how can we make sure we leverage that versus letting kind of the, the, the sea of trends and voices over overpower and overtake that. And that's really difficult to do. Yeah. It's a whole process in itself.
2: Well, yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, Courtney and I were so attracted to you guys was that when we looked at, you know, your like a couple of examples you sent us of the process, they didn't look anything like each other. It wasn't like, oh, this is a working assembly brand. You know, like there, you could, you knew that you had done something specific and personal with each brand because it was them that were coming through, not you. Which I think is really cool and a testament to you, and it probably goes back to having just diverse voices in the room doing that design. Because, you know, some 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 people are like, I want a brand designed by X Y Z because they always look good. And it's almost like a sign of, it's like a badge of honor in a way. And their
3: signature, right? Yeah. I mean, well, one, I will say we have, in my opinion, the most talented designers on our team and some really, really creative, creative people who kind of make up our, our agency. But I will also say that they all understand the challenge, which is to be a chameleon, to be absorbed absorbed within that brand world and then to to kind of relinquish any of your own um, personality but really kind of try to identify what that brand personality is and how to then make that shine because I think that's where you know um, you didn't come looking for our 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 look and you you came looking for what's right for Haven's Kitchen. I think that's something that's really important.
2: Yeah, and I came looking for you know, and and so this is my sort of second big question because it is a hard process and it's it's not simple, right? There's there's pieces to it and things that you know I don't even know how to answer and I don't know what the difference is between a psychographic and a demographic or whatever. But if if you were talking to someone like me who didn't have a budget you know, or who was just starting to think about building a brand? Like what, what questions would you have them ask themselves? Like, what are some of the, the fundamental questions that we need to ask ourselves to sort of make that foundation to to give us something to tether it all to?
3: Yeah, I think it would, I would say if you have only a, a, a second or a chance to which we really only do to sell someone on your product. What is it that you're doing that's so much different and so much better than anyone else? And for you, when we chatted, it was a lot around um, around helping and enabling mm-hmm. home cooks to to be as creative as they want to be and adding that extra layer of refinement. Um, and so that's what we try to unpack. You know, with Sandro and Sanzo, you know his his spin on on taking something that was so culturally personal to him and making that resonate and be important. That was something that we want to make sure really show like shine through in his work and his Mm -hmm. output. And I think if for us, a lot of what we have to do is that investigation in the beginning of really unpacking um, what that is that makes the brand important. And then, and then from there, it's really kind of figuring out what that white space is. We talked about that a lot about, Mm -hmm. you know, where trends are now where kind of legacy brands are and then where you can be that feels very one like credible um and distinguished and classic but then also to like is responding to what's happening within culture what's happening within trends um and isn't necessarily like um at odds with it but feels right. you know above it in some ways i think that's really important
2: yeah i mean i guess that's the thing i think there's i mean i hear a lot of brands saying, what makes this different is that, you know, we're super sustainable. And I'm kind of like, honestly, that's table stakes. You yeah. know, what makes us different is we taste great. Well, again, that can't be the thing that makes you different. It just, mm-hmm. it's not going to stick. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, not that I'm an expert on what sticks. I mean, you know, yeah. the jury's out to some extent, but I think, you know, we've already cleared a bunch of hurdles, um, you well, know, Should, we talk, to about, where we, are. should
3: yeah. we talk about how you had that moment where you came <laughs> to us and you said, I kind of want to explore, you know, something that's really crazy and hand drawn and um, <laughs> you kind of you had you brought kind of a mood board to us that was really kind of pushed you, I think from both like color and graphic language that was a little bit outside of what you originally briefed us on.
2: Yes. I think we should talk about that. Um, so let's, let's give that some context though, because I guess my question is like, was it, was it a fairly typical experience working with me and my team that I, you know, it's a, it's a pretty founder led, you know, brand I have, you know, I, I like white with, you know, pops of color on my plate and on my brands. Like, you know, that you know, a bunch of people asked us if we were, you and I joked about this, like, can you change the name of the company? Cause yeah. Haven's Kitchen is too long and it sounds kind of old and fuddy duddy. And I was like, no, we can't <laughs> like that's There were some sacred cows. I didn't want to completely you know, alter the look. I love the, the original packaging design. I just wanted to make everything better and more doable. And I needed, we needed more flexibility as we kind of went out into the world and we went into different marketing channels. Were we typical in that way? Or was there, were we more or less of something than the, than the usual calls you get?
3: Well, I think the way that we approach brand refreshes and brand rebrands are, are different. And so I just want to like kind of distinguish what those two things are. Mm -hmm. So when you and I first chat, we talked about a refresh. You said there's things within our packaging, our brand that we need to optimize things like the logo mark, um, things like the packaging, you know, the way we speak about ourselves, the brand story, um, the way we, 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 uh, you know, optimize showcasing the ingredients and use case on the pack. So that's what we originally discussed. And then there was a a moment kind of week, a couple weeks into the process where you were like, well, actually, maybe I want to do a rebrand where we could completely (laughs) take a look at this and see if, you know, what else and where this could go and get really crazy. And I think that that isn't uncommon when we're doing refreshes because there'll be a moment where... Um, it doesn't feel like it's enough it's enough exactly and you want to see how far you can go before you reel it back because where we ultimately landed was your original brief and I think you you are someone who really knows who you are and and knows what works and what you what you you stand for as a brand and I think what's great about your team is they all know it too and so there's a lot of continuity sometimes we'll work with clients that are founder-led and there's one voice but there's also a lot of little voices that have very different um mm. opinions and thoughts and that can be difficult to reconcile because you're getting feedback that can feel a little bit disparate. Yeah, So scattered. I would say and scattered so I would say if you're a founder led organization like lead with the founder being involved in the process and 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 let them have social don't socialize the brand for them you know mm-hmm. at the end because we've had that happen You know, let them be involved in the process all the way through because it is personal regardless of what stage you're at. And then I would say the other part for me as far as the rebrand versus refresh is there's a lot of that you were doing really well. And, you know, I'm thinking about brands that we're working with now, like Partake or other brands that have a lot of footprint across, um, across, you know, the country. You know, you don't want to, you're doing so much people, you've done so much to kind of build that, Brand recognition—you um, don't want to completely have that go away either. So I think it's being really smart about how you optimize. I think you really were. Well, thank you.
2: And is would you say for people who are you know starting from scratch or just starting to think of a of, of you know starting? Are there you know aside from sort of like the what makes you different and then how does that fit into the current ecosystem? You know. I think founders, sometimes we, um, we're a tricky bunch, but you know, I think founders are sort of like one of two. We're either like, we either are super foundry and like, it's our way or the highway, or we're super foundry and we don't know it. It's kind of like in When Harry Met Sally, when he's like, you're the worst kind of high maintenance, you're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. Honestly, I feel like that's me to some extent. Like I try to be, you know, like one team and everyone's voice. And I do actually believe that. And I hear everyone, but at the end of the day, I just trust my vision the most. And I think getting over that and just being like, okay, okay. That's what it is and And, owning it and owning it and just, and, and honest about it and not trying to, you know, it's, it's kind of, I always go back to Pema Chudron too. Like the thing is one thing, pushing against the thing adds a whole other thing to it. And if that made sense to anyone, I'm glad if it didn't, all I mean to say is it just be what you are and that will cause much less confusion for everybody that you work with. And there will be people who want to just join that ride. And then there are going to be people who are like, that's not for me. And it's better if you know sooner rather than later. And I think I felt a little guilty. You know, I think I, think I wanted it to be more of like a group process for all of us. But at the end of the day, I kind of just didn't entirely. I, and, and somehow you figured that out.
0: <laughs> yeah which and I think, I think
3: I think it is though too I one thing that you should give yourself credit for which I think also is something where our when our process goes well it goes well because of this is that you also hired an outside agency mm-hmm. because you wanted their outside point of view yeah. and so it is also letting them do what they do and I think once we got to that point where you where we were all kind of aligned and on the same page as far as the vision and, and where we were going that once that trust happened, I think that's when the work really came together. Absolutely, because then we were able to kind yeah. of really execute, um, because we we're all aligned on that. And at the end of the day, when you hire an agency, they want to make you happy. They want to they want to be in service to your vision, your ideas. I think when there's the kind of tension that you mentioned or when the, sometimes it just doesn't work out is when it's because, you know, there is that lack of trust. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's like the most important thing I think you're hiring is uh, someone for is, you know, are they aligned to, to you and what you ultimately want and, and need to do? And um, are they a teammate who's going to help you get there?
2: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, you know, I guess, Changing paths a little bit, some of the bigger brands that you've worked with, I'm just kind of, you know, are you, if you had to sort of say like, first of all, I would, my guess is that your picker is pretty good at this point. My guess is that you turn down a lot of jobs and that you have a pretty good nose for brands that at least have a pretty good solid chance of making it, um, That said, what would you say you've kind of learned from the bigger brands? Why do you think some brands last? Why do you think they resonate with people? Like, what are the common denominators you would say that we should really try to like reverse engineer for ourselves to be here in 10 or 15 or 20 years?
3: Yeah, that's a good question, because I think one thing that we we do is, you know, what people are really surprised by is that, you know, we're doing the branding for Haven's Kitchen, but then we've also done the rebrand for Mass Mutual, which is, which is an insurance company or Guardian Insurance, uh, which does dental cards, you know, I think that Mm -hmm. that's really surprising. And those are all both you know, almost 200 year old brands that have been around for a very long time. So I think one, at the end of the day that they're, they're actually really good products. So I think that's like why I think Haven's Kitchen will be around for a long time is you have a great product and um, you, you really are putting out something that people want. I think that's something that's very important, of course, and something you can't always replicate. But Mm -hmm. I think the second thing too, is like a trust and um, and building credibility within your brand, I think there's some brands that we all really like that are out there right now that feel like a brand that's only gonna be around for the next two or three years. We can't imagine right. that that brand's gonna be around forever. Um, what why what do you think that is? Because I I have a hard time
2: pinpointing it. I, like I I'll, like I don't know what it is other than it it feels it feels like light or something. And I don't know how to like put that into words. Like what, what gives you that feeling of like, they're not going to be here in 10, 20, 200 years.
3: Yeah. I think sometimes they're either um, responding to something that's very trendy at the moment. I mean, there is way too many uh, spike seltzers on the market. There's probably way too many sparkling waters on the, on the market too. At the moment, you know, it's like, they're all responding to to things that are happening at the moment. And, I don't think all of these brands will be here and, right. and what will make some of the brands last will be whether they're listening to their customer, they're willing to change, they're willing to evolve, they're willing to respond, um, they're willing to not be uh, just one thing, which is whether it's trendy or or relevant at the moment, um, they, whether they're really trying to build something that lasts. Right,
2: got it. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I think it's confusing for founders too, especially, you know, we live in this really interesting ecosystem where, you know, you do see these brands that kind of get built almost overnight, and then they get acquired for like a ridiculous amount of money. Mm-hmm. And it sets us up for thinking that that's the way that it goes. And you hear the statistics, it's like 99% of brands (laughs) fail. And, you know, again, like I said, there's hurdles, right? Getting to your first million in sales, getting to your first 5 million in sales, getting to 10 million in sales. It's, you know, there are these hurdles. And with every hurdle you have brands that don't make it and they kind of fall. And, but then you have these sort of like random, like sort of weird little shooting stars that for some reason or another, and it's probably not necessarily the product or the branding. It's probably the needs of the strategic that ends up purchasing them or, you know, Mm -hmm. a portfolio company that needs to do something like whatever it is. Um, and so they, they kind of They there's a setup almost because you see some of these brands hugely successful in very little time, and you think, oh, all I need to do is this. It's follow that formula
3: and that rule. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's where it goes back to what you mentioned about like listening to your voice and listening to like the listening to the right voices, which whether that be those buyers or um, whether that be the agency that you hire, where you really want to. Uh, do something that's right for you and not completely responding to everything out there i think that's that's something that uh we all fall into the trappings of is that that dogma and wanting to be like everyone else and and thinking about what people think about us and care about us and at the end of the day we have to be true to what what makes sense and that little voice in your head and gut, which i know is so much of what led this process i actually think is is ultimately what will be the differentiator yeah
2: so let's talk about brand building for a second, because, you know, whenever I'm with you, I'm like, we just scratched the surface with a new logo and a beautiful brand book. You know, we've got tone of voice. We've got all of our brand colors. We've got secondary brand colors. We've got tertiary <laughs> colors. We have a secondary font, which is like amazing because we always had one font and we were like, it was just always kind of funny. Um you know, we, we have all that now and now we can take that and apply it in all these different ways, you know, whether it's like LinkedIn posts or just giving it to another agency, you know, we're doing a web redesign, we handed that book over and they're now taking it and extrapolating from it. But I know when I talk to you that that's like an iota of what you actually do and what, you know, TWA does. So That might be visual identity and logo, but I know that you do brand story and messaging and experiential campaigns and digital ad campaigns and like all, you know, all this out of home stuff. Like, how do you, how do you know what a brand needs to some extent and where do you start? And at what point do you say like, okay, you've done this now you can sort of step into this next level of stuff Like, when will you say to me, okay, now I I really want us to do a
3: campaign on XYZ or like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean?
2: Like, how do we Mm -hmm. even
3: know what we don't know? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that a lot of what we thought about when we built a branding agency was that we didn't want to be an agency that was just led by visual identity and that people just knew of us as doing logos or packaging. We really wanted to be someone who could be a brand partner uh, and be someone who could help a brand build, uh, and regardless of what those touch points might look like. So that could be, um, you know, an influencer event for Zola could be an out of home campaign for Rent the Runway. It could be, um, you know, the brand could show up in a number of ways that don't necessarily have to be just, you know, with a logo marker on a, it could be a social post. It could be a social campaign. Yeah. Um, it could be the way that it shows up on you know swag that we develop for you or you know at a at in within the space the physical space of the museum of ice cream within like mm-hmm. signage and and the little stickers that you get at the end of your experience and yeah. so you know that's all that's how we kind of approach branding and i think that's what helps us be distinguished is that we really think about that story and that brand story and all the different ways that your brand has to evolve and and continue to show up. I think you and I talk a lot about consistency. And I think that's something that that you're really, um, you're going to really win on is being consistent, showing up in the same way with the same voice with the same look. Um, It's how you make a brand feel premium is by showing up the same way each time
2: Mm. and
3: looking the same. And I think that's something that we, that you and I will always talk about is, you know, where, where can we help? service these home cooks, like where can we show up in a way that that feels surprising and adds value to their lives and feels um, exciting and, um, and making them love my brand more. I think yeah. that's something that you and I talk about a lot. And, and what I talk about with a lot of the people that I, that we work with is, you know, how do we make sure that your brand shows up, um, in a way that one not only represents like all the kind of brand building, visual identity work that we've done in foundation, but in the way it speaks, the way it acts, the way it's, you know, the partners that's aligning in with, you know, and the events it's it's activating around.
2: And so building on that, though, like going back again to like, you know, you're you're new in this and you're just starting to build something. There are endless consumer touch points. We all dream. I mean, you you did some mock-ups for us of like, you know, um, e- you know, billboards, right? Like mm-hmm. the, they're just like, we made posters of them and hung them in our office. Cause they're so freaking cool. We're nowhere near being able to have a billboard because we don't have enough people. Like we don't have enough stores where our sauce is available for, it would be lost. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so how, what are the, the first couple of things that an emerging brand needs to think about. Like we, those of us who like this stuff, all we want to think about is the sticker and the magnet and the dish towel and you know, the fun stuff. Um, but what, what are those like first couple of things that we really need to get right? And then you can kind of start swimming into other waters.
3: Yeah. I would definitely say it's, uh, for us, you know, the things that we do for every client is thinking about, the packaging, of course, which is what we did for you beyond the visual identity and the foundation work. But also, I would say social, I think you were probably surprised by how much we did as far as social content and creating like, templates for you Mm -hmm. and um, thinking about motion and animation and how Mm -hmm. you show up and how you speak on social. I think that's just a a naturally easy place to go. um, That's doesn't cost that much to really kind of revamp and really think about how you show up and how you interact with, with customers on social. How you can add value there. Yeah, um, and then again the other... going
2: back to the consistency because ours. Yeah. Really yeah.
3: Yeah, and then the other thing I would say is website, which I know you're working on too. Mm-hmm. It's just how do we and the and the visual assets, the photography. I mean, those are all things I always say are like the things that you shouldn't make concessions on and like try to really get right because those are really important.
2: Yeah. Okay. So going now kind of zooming out, we just zoomed in, but zooming out to sort of like the whole, the landscape, right. Aside from like the, the couple of brands that you see, everyone's sort of, you know, excited by or jealous of, or they're on their mood boards. Like, are there any sort of big macro changes that you're seeing in the branding landscape? Like, obviously there was the blending, and there then there was like the the 90s anti blending back to sort of you know whatever it would be great to hear that there's I don't know something beyond that maybe happening or that you know more brands have more niche audiences and so they can be more who they are and they don't all have to look alike or, or something but Is there anything that you're seeing, negative, positive, either way,
3: no judgment? Yeah, yeah, no, I think there's two things. One, I think brands that are owning more culturally, like, who they are, so brands that are, to your point, like, for more of a, um, created from more of, like, uh, either from a more niche community or from a niche, uh, niche landscape, you know, Mm -hmm. then going mass, I think that always will win because it feels so unique and interesting and feels like a conversation. And the other part that I would say is we've been in this kind of D2C land for a very long time. And I think this whole Instagram bubble, as we all know, will Mm -hmm. probably likely pop at some point soon. And so I think it's really thinking about outside of Instagram, how do you show up? How do you look and distinguish yourself from looking? the same and I would actually say it's probably off of the feed it's not it's not on your feed right now it's it's maybe more in Mm -hmm. um maybe it's more in art books and museums and and feeling a little bit more classic and going back to more yeah traditional graphic design things that really work I think that's what I really liked about working with you and was almost like going back into just the foundation of good typography good design good right. communication design I actually think that's what's going to work well because people don't have time to investigate and try to look for that small six-point type that says what this product actually is right be of color yeah you know what they actually have time to do is actually look at your pack really get really clearly who you are what you're about and then where they can get value from it um I think that's gonna that's gonna win right now
2: yeah, I mean, I think you know, I'm sure you have this too, but it's a, it's also an interesting time because I have a lot of, you know, D2C founder friends and, you know, brand friends <laughs> if that is a thing that, you know, have had a lot of success, you know, D2C and I think, you know, I've said this before on the show, but I think there was just sort of this understanding a couple of years ago and I still think you know most brands should start directly to consumer because you can learn a ton and you can really build a community and you and, you know, especially if you're lightweight and you're shelf stable and it makes sense. Like I'll say that till the cows come home. It's a really easy way to start. You own your customer, you understand them, you can ask questions, all of that. But at some point, likely, um, you are going to want to expand out of one channel and into, retail, most likely grocery. And, um, for a lot of us, it's, you know, starting with the more progressive, you know, retailers, whether, you know, it used to be sort of, you started with either natural or specialty, and then you went to progressive conventional, and then you went to conventional, and then you went to club, and then you went to mass. Um, now I think, you know, people are kind of hopping around all over the place and those channels are bleeding a little bit, but all of that is to say that, you know, they're all trying to figure out what to do for on shelf. And they all realize that what's sold directly to consumer isn't necessarily going to win on shelf. So I'm imagining a lot of them are coming to you. Um, Is there anything that you, you kind of find yourself repeating over and over to those brands? Yeah. Yeah, I do.
3: Because, because I think that, that a lot of times, sometimes the people who are that you're hiring to develop your brand, they're coastal, they live, you know, on the West Coast, they live on the East Coast, they're going to those like very specific places, they're, they're looking at the same things as maybe you're looking at, or that, you know, that you aspire to. And I would say that part of us having a diverse team hiring people from all over the country, and, and also really thinking about about consumers all over the country is how do we get to the people in the middle, you know, Mm -hmm. Sacramento to your point and (laughs) what, and what are the things that will, will engage them and excite them, but also not alienate them too. Cause I think that's something that happens a lot is we'll kind of create something that's almost so cool that it becomes uncool in that no one understands it, you know? So I think that's, that's something that we have to do is, is to, and I, I always encourage the people that we work with to really think about too, is, is to not make a coastal brand, not make a brand right. that works for the West Coast and East Coast because they're, they're going to adopt, they're going to be early adopters, right? But the ones who are going to make your brand stay and have longevity are in the middle.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting, right? Cause it's, it really is, again, this like tension between like, yes, own who you are and be unique, but also not so unique that no one knows what the hell you
3: are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know,
2: which yeah. you know we're working on we're yeah. working on yeah um, and,
3: I, and i think you and i think it's the same thing it's easy to kind of say oh well i want what worked for them because it'll work for me mm-hmm. and and to feel that and to believe that but but you know you can't replicate you can't replicate that success yeah
2: okay last licks any final things that you want to tell us the brands that you know are thinking about coming to you or any agency or the brands that haven't been born yet anything you just you wish you could tell us all that you never get the chance to
3: yeah I would say that the one thing that I would suggest is like to not look at your kind of um your challenge or your, or your brand is like by a project or a specific deliverable, you know, sometimes clients will come to us and say, I just really need a new, new logo. label, right. or I need mm-hmm. a new logo, or I need a new website. And I think it's really easy to kind of identify those like specific pain points, but without actually figuring out what's underlying, like the actual thing that you want to change. Because um, um, sometimes people will say, I really want to change my website, I, I don't like it. And I'll say, Oh, well, you know, is it not working? It's not performing? Like, What's happening? And they're like, no, our sales are great. And mm-hmm. I'll be like, well, what's wrong with your website? And they'll be like, well, I just don't like it. And it doesn't say who we are anymore. And I'm like, that's okay. not good
2: specific feedback.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Or, okay. So actually, what you don't like about your website is it's not reflecting the story you want to tell anymore. Like, it's mm-hmm. still it, the product is selling, but you don't feel like the story and the about us and who you are as a foundation isn't there anymore. And so let's investigate that and actually figure out where. Where and how that shows up. And so right. I think that's what I would say is think less about your brand as like a specific project or deliverable or output and think of it more holistically.
2: Well, Jolene, I can't thank you enough, first of all, for my beautiful new logo. Our pouches are going to be rolling out onto shelves in the next month or so. You know, if I had a perfect world, it would they'd all roll out at the same time and our new corrugated would roll out at the same time at the same time as our new website, but it is not a perfect world and there is a supply chain. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all going to be kind of coming out in dribs and drabs, which isn't, you know, a great splash, but I know that people are going to really love it. And we brought color in and all the things that we needed to do, you guys did and even more. Um, And It was just, and is, I mean, we're continuing to work with you guys. So obviously it's just a joy to have you as a partner in this, you know, crazy thing that we're doing. Um, So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for coming on the show. And I don't know, you know, how how would you want people to reach out if, if they reached out?
3: (laughs) Yeah, reach out. I would love that. You know, um, find us at theworkingassembly.com or feel free to send me an email. We'd love to chat and connect. And even if, you know, you're not at the stage yet where you're ready to hire a branding agency, I would love to connect and see how I can help you and make referrals or connect you. I think that being a founder is really hard. And I think one thing that we we think about a lot is that we think of ourselves still as like a founder led organization Mm -hmm. and agency. And I think all the pain points I feel, you know, building a company are very similar to the ones that our clients do. And I think that's also what makes us good partners. That's so true.
2: Armin, as always, thank you for um, your engineering prowess. Um, And all of you listeners, I'm getting so many really nice messages, especially on LinkedIn lately. Um, do me a favor. I don't usually care or ask, but do write a review and just like do whatever you need to do. (laughs) I I don't really do this very often, but like on Apple, on the podcast app, just give it five stars. And if you can write a review, I'm glad this is helping you. I really do want it to help as many people as possible. And the more reviews, just the more people that see it. So thank you all for listening, and I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter.